Welcome, everybody, U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Berry, along with my very good friend, Father Richard Heilman, and our guest tonight, Michael Hitchborn. You're going to love this show. We're going to dig into some very serious stuff. As you see on the bottom of the screen, Luciferian conspiracy. Michael knows stuff. This he is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. And this, this, I mean, this is going to open your eyes, ladies and gentlemen, in ways you might not even have thought. This is going to be fantastic. So, but we want to start everything off with a prayer, especially considering the topic tonight. So, Father, yeah. I'll turn this to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Hosts, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, Doug, before you say anything, because I'm going to forget it if I don't say this, I'm praying the prayer and it's coming to me. I got an email today from a woman who uh, it, they're, they're, they're um, expelling demons as they're driving down the road. You know how? Hmm. They're playing the podcast with Father Ripperger at, at, at top volume out their windows. <laughs> and they're literally seeing manifestations as they're going down the road. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. When I was in college, my thesis advisor uh, was coming back from adoration at about two in the morning. And he was just continuing on some of the prayers that he had been saying while he was in adoration. And he came to a stoplight. I mean, it's, there's no one around. It's, it's in the middle of the dead of night and he stopped and he's just reciting some prayers on as he's driving home and a car comes by and it stops and somebody leans out the window. Shut up. Oh, wow. Right at him. Wow. Yep. Man. You can't yeah. make this stuff up. You nope. can't. This stuff is real. This stuff yeah. is real. Well, hey, before we get started and get the official introduction going to our guests tonight, I want to thank everybody out there who has been supporting, watching, and encouraging us in this U.S. Grace Force podcast. It's phenomenal. We've been doing it for just over a year, and the numbers are going up. People who are watching this, and you just mean so much to us. You're like a family out there. We want to thank you very much for yes. that. Your prayers, your encouragement, your support, your ideas, all of it is amazing. Uh, especially want to thank those out there, the patrons through the Patreon program. You've been amazing, beyond amazing to help us continue to do this. I've always said there are several people behind the scenes who are working hard, putting this show together on a weekly basis and trying to get the word out to as many people as possible. So your support through Patreon is huge. If you want to become a patron, you want to help support us financially, a few dollars on up, just pray about it, please. Click the link below in the description. Go on out to Patreon, and there's different uh, areas, different ways, uh, different levels to give, and anything and everything helps. So thank you so much for that. Also, don't forget to go out and check out the U.S. Grace Force gear page. Got some great stuff out there. Get Strong t-shirt, I Kneel for God Alone t-shirt, you know, the, the Dogma Lives Loudly Within Me t-shirts. We get all these great images out there, sweatshirts, hoodies, t-shirts, coffee mugs, baby onesies. So check out the U.S. Grace Force gear page and please uh, know that all your support when you buy those products helps us and is tremendously appreciated. Also, one last thing, don't forget the Battle Ready Emergency Preparedness course. We call it BREP for short. It is a course that helps you get started on being much better prepared, body, mind, and soul. When it comes to everything happening in our society right now, we need to be very, very awake to the reality of the times, not just spiritually, that is key, but also on a natural level. We have spiritual works of mercy and corporate works of mercy, and we're called to take care of both. We have the responsibility for ourselves and those that God has entrusted to our care. So please click the link below, check out the Battle Ready Emergency Preparedness course 
and uh, get yourself geared up for uh, whatever may come our way. And we know things are coming our way. In fact, that's what we're going to talk a lot about tonight, how things have been folded, how things are unfolding. And this guest tonight, I know, Father, you're going to write, read off his bio and, and roll right into this. But Michael Hishborn, I met Michael. I met you a few years ago out at the uh, Washington, D.C. Rosary Rally. And uh, we stayed in contact since then, had you on the show before. And your, your, your posts are amazing. You know, your research is incredible. You dig deep and you expose some stuff out there that, that a lot of people just kind of shake your head and can't believe what's going on behind the scenes when it comes to, you know, diabolical angles and plans in our world right now. So I want to thank you personally for the work that you're doing because we need that kind of courage and bravery to get out there and really, really bust open doors and get this information out. So I just want to say that personally before Father gives you the official U.S. Grace Force introduction. Take it away, Father. Yeah, so Michael, you and I have known each other for a long time. Um, and uh, the big reason we wanted you on the show is because through all of what we're going through, your posts have been amazing. And mm -hmm. I just realized you know stuff. And we've been talking before the show, and it's amazing what you, what you know. So we're going to really tap into what, what, what that's all about. But uh, Michael, uh, according to his bio, he's a well-known public speaker in pro-life movement. Uh, Michael spent seven and a half years as the American Life League's director of the Defend uh, of the Faith Project. Um, he's also been uh, very uh, much a front runner in the whole pro-life movement. Um, so there's an annual report by the Catholic Campaign of uh, Human Development, or actually exposes the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. That's been kind of a a pet project of yours, and thank you very much for what you've, you've done with that. All its ties to uh, abortion and birth control and homosexuality and Marxism and all that. Um, and he's the director of Defend the Faith. Uh, and I'm glossing here as I go along. But there's some, uh, uh, he it's has a Bachelor degree. of Arts degree in Christian College of Political Science and Economics and a Master's degree of Education from American uh, Intercontinental University. And I can't wait to, for you to tell us what your thesis was. We'll get to that soon, too. Uh, but, Michael, um, yeah, we wanted to have you on. Doug and I both have been watching um, how you have been helping everyone to kind of understand what's at stake right now and uh, what's behind the scenes. You know, what what is this cabal or whatever term uh, you're, you're going to prefer to use when you talk about this, but... Uh, but there is a coordinated effort, and it's not conspiracy theory. It's it's fact, and you've been studying that. In fact, you did a thesis, and I'd like you to to talk to us about that. But uh, can you kind of begin to unpack what are we dealing with right now? What is what is uh, this uh, new world order? This cabal? Uh, uh, you know, we see it all throughout the Democratic Party now, and and mainstream media. But I'll let you. I'll let you take it from there, Michael. What, 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 tell us what you know. So yeah, the uh, the senior thesis that I did uh, is the same as the title of our talk this evening: global governance, a Luciferian yes. conspiracy. Uh, what what my thesis was about was was um, well, I started with Freemasonry. I wa I was researching Freemasons. Um, I'd never really known a whole lot about Freemasonry until I got into college. And the reason that I started looking into it is that I had a step-grandfather who sent materials on Freemasonry to me, trying to recruit me. And I was like, what is this? So I started going through the materials. I was like, this is nonsense. And, and I started doing a little bit of digging. And then I wound up doing a lot of reading. And then I started, uh, my grandfather gave me a copy of Behind the Lodge Door and I was hooked. 
And so then I, I started really diving into, well, what is this Freemasonry and why is it important? And what I started to notice was that the Freemasons, uh, having been founded in 1717 in England, were a driving force for the Enlightenment and Revolution uh, going into the, the 18th and 19th centuries. And what's fascinating is that in, uh, in the late 1800s, there was a book that was put together, and I, boy, I can't remember the name of the, um, uh, the author. It was a cardinal from down in South America. But because uh, the Pope at that time had exhorted uh, the, the clergy to expose Freemasonry for what it is, he did a ton of research and discovered that Freemasonry is the hidden mask behind communism. And he started detailing all of the different uh, aims and goals of Freemasons and how they are reflected in the aims and goals and philosophies of communism, uh, which, of course, got me starting to look into, well, if there's a connection between Freemasonry and communism, then surely we would know something about it from Karl Marx. And I discovered that Friedrich Engels, who was Karl Marx's partner in writing the Communist Manifesto, had put together uh, a series of presentations and a lot of reflections on the writing of the Communist Manifesto. And in one of his reflections, what he wrote was that prior to the publication or writing of the Communist Manifesto, he was approached by the Lodges of England. And he didn't specify the name of the lodge itself, but he referred to them as lodges. And he called them the League of Just Men. Wow. The League of Just Men were Freemasons. And they were Freemasons who were pushing socialist ideas. They had socialist lodges all through Europe. And so because of this, they created the Communist Manifesto and those lodges changed their names to the Communist League. And the Communist League, all through Europe, right after publication of the Communist Manifesto, started these uh, revolutionary movements that would topple the various monarchies of Europe. And that's how we got a series of republics established in Europe, where democracy started to have its big spread. And then uh, the Communist Manifesto and, and the Communist push found its footing in the revolution of 1917 in Russia. Uh, and if you look at one of the first things that, uh, that happened in Russia, they shut down the, the Freemasonic lodges. Why? Because it was the Freemasons that put them in power. They didn't need them anymore. Wow. Um, and you look at the, uh, the, what the, the goals of uh, communism are, is the establishment of communist property, so communal property, the establishment of a communist religion, which isn't necessarily atheist, but it's belief in the state. It is love and belief in the state. And the establishment of communist morality, which is that every person is a part of the common good and we share each other equally. So it's the disillusion of the family. Wow. When you look at the aims of Freemasonry as established in the Alta Vendita and as established in several other Freemasonic documents, they have the same identical goals. The establishment of communal property, the establishment of communal uh, relationships, and uh, the establishment of Masonic ideologies related to belief and love of the state. And I could go on if you want to. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm amazed at this, this, what you just described sounds an awful lot like what they're trying to do in America right now. 
Yes. Well, I mean, this this is the foundation. This is the groundwork. I mean, the, the whole idea. Even I mean, I'm I'm looking at the the. The, some are calling it the the COVID cult. You know, those out there, the mask cult, the whatever the state says, whatever the health department says, the health officials say, whatever mm-hmm. the governors say, we bow down to out of fear. And it's all based on the good of society. It's all for the good of society. And it has almost a religious tone or feel to it. It has this 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 heaviness and this weight, this this you have to buy in and you have to commit to it and you have to you have to give yourself over to it. You know, and anytime I've been in comment debate with people on my Facebook page or, or any kind of social media, people are saying, oh, no, we're not. No one's asking you to give up your freedoms, your personal rights and freedoms. No one's asking you to give up your religion. And yet it, it, it is clear as a bell. Churches have been closed and so forth. Now, if you go back to a lot of what you described, Michael, in the beginnings of like the Bolshevik Revolution, when communism starts taking over a region or a society, they go after they go after Christianity primary, like lock up the churches, shut down the churches. Describe a little bit about that historically. What happened in Russia, China, and other places? I mean, when communism comes in, when socialism moves in, they want to shut the church down, do they not? Because that's one of the great. I mean, the real, authentic, true Catholic faith. Because that's a real threat to them, is it not? Absolutely. Well, the first thing that they do is they shut down the middle class because the middle class is the uh, it's the area where you have the most resistance. The middle class has the most to lose. The working class, they're the ones who want, they want to recruit into their, into their efforts. But the middle class, uh, which is typically represented in the old society uh, as the, um, the lower nobility, where they would be like the noble knights of, of medieval Europe. But in their, in their um, noble mo- or lower mobility or nobility, uh, they would be the ones who would resist the unjust edicts of the king they would be the ones who would resist the uh the or put down rebellion and and uh the uh unrest among the peasantry so the the middle class really is the vanguard against revolution so the the first thing that they did was they attacked the middle class and they did it by trying to disarm them and by trying to disenfranchise them so take away their property take away their ability to resist and and you then open the way for revolution. The second thing that they do is they shut down the churches because the church represents not just organized resistance against the ideologies of communism, but it uh, it opens the, it, it keeps the soul and the virtue of Christianity alive, which is what they want to squash. They can't have Christian virtue and establish their Masonic communist virtue at the same time. Has to be eliminated. I'm going to jump in for just a second, Michael, on, on, on a couple of points here. You talk about they take they take away your, your your ability to resist. Yeah. Disarm. Okay. And it has been we've been told that, that Beto was going to be put in charge, Biden has said, of the new gun laws in America. He's made it clear he would disarm America. He would restrict yep. and so forth and confiscate guns. Okay. That fits part and parcel, right in hand, hand in hand, I should say, with what you're saying here. Second is in America, it doesn't seem, I mean, yes, churches have been shut down. The doors have been locked. The whole COVID manipulation and so forth has def- definitely done that. But have our bishops also, and I, I say this with careful consideration, not in a way to try to attack, but have our bishops not capitulated to a lot of this to where we don't even necessarily need to shut the churches down because we're not even hearing preaching that speaks clearly of 
uh, the right to own property or man's freedoms and so forth. We're not even hearing that as God-given rights anymore. It, it seems as if much of it has been so watered down that there's this almost hand-in-hand -hand embracing of this movement that if the churches even stay open in some places in America, we're not hearing much like a Father Heilman or a Father Altman or other priests like that who are clearly speaking out against these things. So is it in America that we have to shut the churches down or we just got to water the churches down as well? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, they're doing both. I mean, they're watering the churches down, but they're also watering down our ability to actually receive the sacraments and maintain sure. the, the strength of grace. Uh, so there, there is a oh, oh, concern. Can I, can I interrupt real yeah. quick? I think the watering down, and this has been my mantra, especially lately, has caused the churches to close and, and uh, people to walk away. You know, mm -hmm. I, I keep going back to that uh, Pew Research report last August 5th, uh, 2019, that, that identified that we, we only have 30% that believe that's the real presence on the altar. Mm, I mean, so right. the watering down has led to this mass exodus in our church. And, and, you know, I don't know if, if, if they had this explicit uh, uh, strategy to try to get to this, but, but what, what alarms me is that um, this has been going on now for decades, and we've watched people just, you know, walk away, mo mostly of boredom. You know, they just, there's nothing here, really. I mean, it's nice entertainment, and the, and the priest gives a nice little sermon to remind us you know that we're nice people and and stuff i mean but it, it's it's mush and so people have just you know literally the uh, the, the the big reason for the mass exodus the big reason to to uh, deny the supernatural power of god and the real presence of jesus christ has been this watering down over all these years right well i think it's time for us as catholics to start looking at this as a siege I mean, what right. is a siege but a, an enemy army that stands outside the city walls and tries to star starve it into submission? Right. You know, yeah, so, starve it. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're undergoing. We have a right. siege going on right now uh, where we are being starved of our spiritual food. Exactly. We are being starved of uh, the truth. I mean, exactly. I'll tell you, one of the things that Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that was the worst thing about living under communism in, in the Soviet Union were the lies. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, I, I am sick and tired of the lies coming I know. from the media, coming from, from uh, various avenues of the intelligence And community. very few people countering the lies. You know, I think yeah. of uh, my big hero, and he's, he's sitting right here on my, my shelf, but Maximilian Kolbe. Yeah. You know, that was during the, the whole 1920s, 1930s, when all this propaganda was just being shoved down their throats like it is now. You know, what did he do? He picked up the best of new media and did everything he could to counter these lies. I mean, there's just not a lot of people doing that right now. And it's so needed because, like you said, they're starving us. They're starving us of supernatural strength. They're starving us of truth. Uh, everything that, that, that uh, quickens the spirit and gets us up and being strong like we need to be and be united like we need to be. And to be a force to be reckoned with, we need to be. What are we now? We're scattered sheep, you know. We're and we're weak, and and we're seeing people exiting uh, the church in in droves uh, during during this period. Uh, my only hope now is that evil has just been so obnoxious and arrogant that you know that might light a fire uh, under, especially our bishops, but our people too. Well, we're being tested. 
I mean, I, I think that uh, Catholics everywhere have to realize that everything that we endure in this life is a test. Mm -hmm. It's a test to determine whether we actually have the stuff that it makes in order to make saints or not. Uh, you know, our Lord used the imagery of fire tri tried in gold. Uh, so you dip gold in a, in a fire in a furnace uh, and you wait for it to melt and then all the impurities will rise to the top. And those impurities have to be scraped away until you have nothing but a shining pool. Uh, and then it, and it's fascinating because if you look at the way goldsmithing works, you know, you've got that, that pool of fire tried gold, that molten gold. And then when the maker looks into it and he can see the reflection of his own face, he knows he has pure gold. That's what we have to uh, realize that we're undergoing too, is the siege is a test, which is really yeah. testing the metal of what we're made of. Yes. Now and on the wall behind you, you, you've got, well, the, the, this beautiful painting that you painted that I painted, yes <laughs> this is the famous battle of Lepanto and, and and you know what gets me you know Michael is in 30 years of ministry work I've spoken at so many men's conferences in particular a lot of conferences but men's conferences where they speak about the battle of Lepanto we talk about the glory days of how wonderful this was and it was initiated by by a saint Saint Pope Pius V and Don Juan of Austria was called up or asked to call up an army and, and just the, the amazing you know, historical account of what took place in the Battle of Lepanto. Do you think that the men today have the stomach for that kind of battle if we're called to that again? Because we're not hearing this necessarily from the clergy. And yet it was a pope who is a saint now who actually called men to prepare to fight. And of course, we always have to be careful saying this because right away someone will say, oh, look, you're just calling people to arms. You're just calling people to, you know, to war. You're just a warmonger. That's not my approach, but I am darn serious about having a plan and push comes to shove, a line gets crossed, there will have to be potentially physical defense or physical engagement. And I don't see nearly enough men out there with either the stomach or the discipline to take the steps necessarily to train, to even be prepared for battle of any sort. And I've said many times in my social media, Look, you got to be having the conversation with your loved ones, your friends, family, and so forth. Where's the line for you? Right now, they're forcing masks. They're saying mask mandates. Now, at the time we record this, right before Thanksgiving, they're saying you can only have in some states certain number of people in your house. You shouldn't have people from outside your family come in. If they're in your house, you need to wear a mask. And you know people, even though law enforcement's not going to go check every house, many sheriffs have come out and said they won't do this. They won't back or support this. But people still, out of fear, are going to cave to this. And yet some are saying, oh, this makes sense. This is a great idea. We're in the house with our family. We need to put our tables and our chairs six feet apart in my own house with my own family and wear a mask and take it down in between bites. But when they cross the line of saying, forced vaccinations when they come to your door michael and say your kids need to line up we're going to stick a needle in their arm i mean these are the things that we've got to be thinking about i believe and i think every man in particular has to be having these conversations about when does that line get crossed and am i prepared to do things for the good of truth and holiness ultimately just like those men who fought in that image right behind you right now I mean, thousands died in that battle. And yet, if they hadn't fought it, Islam could have overrun Europe at that point. What are your thoughts on this whole, this whole issue of really being prepared for battle in the times that we're in and the lines that we need to be thinking about? If they get crossed, what, what we're thinking we might do? 
Well, I think that uh, in the first point, we, I think that we have a lot more people that are willing to stand up and fight than we, than we're willing to give credit for. If you look at the, uh, the rallies that have come up around the country uh, where you've got uh, people supporting Trump and you've got people standing up and saying, Hey, this election is being stolen. Stop gaslighting us. We can see with our own two eyes, just how pervasive the vote fraud was. You can't tell me that in the middle of the night after the voting had stopped, that 130,000 votes suddenly came in for Biden with none of them for Trump was a natural and organic process of counting votes. You can't tell me that. And uh, when, when people stand up and they say, you're gaslighting us, you're trying to tell me to believe something that is an obvious lie, I'm not going to buy that lie, and they start marching and parading around, uh, it, it's pretty clear that there are people who are willing to stand up and fight. How many that is? That's a good question. That's, a, that's as good a question for anybody, honestly. But with the, uh, the way things are going, I think that the dividing line is being made very clear in this country. But it's not just this country. It's the whole world. And we have to understand that what is happening, th this whole election thing, I mean, it's not just about a stolen election. People are saying, oh, yeah, well, there's vote fraud every, every time there's a vote. There are dead people that vote. And we kind of joke about it. This is not about an election. This right. is about an established coup in order to circumvent the resistance that we are starting to wake up to. Right. The right. fact that we realize that there is an organization that is trying to squash our Western values right. and, and that those Western values are all predicated on Christianity. Um, and it's so there's a progression, right? You start with the Protestant revolt. Protestant revolt took place in what year? 1517. 200 years later, you have the establishment of Freemasonry. Now, Freemasonry didn't just pop up out of the, out of the nothing in 1717, but it was exactly 200 years later. So 1517 to 200, or 1717, 200 years. And uh, during that time, you have to understand, Freemasonry came from the Stonemasons' guilds. And what happened is Gnosticism, which had entered the church because of the Protestant revolt, started winnowing away at the ability to uh, cut, undercut the, the, uh, the Catholic church. And these, the, when you look at what Freemasonry stands for, it's, it, it's a shortened form of free and accepted right of masonry. It's also called philosophical masonry. And the idea is that they are Gnostics who used the stonemasons' guilds in order to obtain their secret handshakes, in order to obtain their secret passwords, because you had the, the, the apprentice, the journeyman, and then the master uh, had different handshakes so that they could determine who was able to perform the work at a certain pay grade. Well, those secret handshakes were then elevated to another level, which was free and accepted philosophical Freemasonry. Those ideologies, the, the Gnostic and, and Manichaean ideologies that came through uh, the philosophical Masonry became Illuminism. In 1776, now it's interesting, if you look at the uh, Great Seal of the United States, on the one side, you've got the eagle and the shield and the, the feathers, and, and it looks very American, okay? On the other side, you have a pyramid, which is a very strange symbol for an American seal, right? But you've got a pyramid, 
the capstone of the pyramid is separate from the body of the pyramid. You've got an eye in the capstone and rays of light coming from it. And underneath it says 1776. On May 1st, 1776, Adam Weishaupt, who was a, a Jesuit professor of theology at Ingolstadt University, uh, established the Illuminati. And the Illuminati was a step above Freemasonry. He used the Illuminati in order to infiltrate Freemasonic lodges. Uh, and it was through that that he was fomenting revolution throughout Europe. In fact, uh, what happened, was the, the only reason we know about this is that one of his couriers who was carrying a whole bunch of documents exposing the entire plot to overthrow monarchies all over Europe was struck by lightning in Bavaria. And the Bavarian police found all the documents. They realized what was going on. They shut down the Illuminati lodges all over uh, Bavaria and they gave... Uh, they told everybody in Europe, hey, there is this plot to take out all the monarchies of Europe. You'd better, you know, man up and, and shut these things down. They did in France. And what happened is the Illuminati changed its name to Jacobin. And the Jacobins became the fomenters of revolution in Paris, which then became the French Revolution, the Reign of Terror. Mm. Now, Father, you'd mentioned uh, participation of bishops and or, or some sort of collaboration between the church and these con conspiracies. And they, you know, let's call it what it is. It is a conspiracy. Yeah. Um, it's just not a conspiracy theory because it's history. Uh, these, the, uh, the Illuminists or, or the, uh, the, the revolutionaries found allies within the episcopacy of the church in Paris, in France. Talleyrand was a bishop. Talleyrand apostatized became a revolutionary and helped write the, uh, the document on human rights, the, the rights of man. And uh, of course, that document is what the, uh, the United Nations based its universal rights of, of man on in, in uh, I think it was 1947. And uh, you, you start to, to connect all these threads and you can see there is always a time whenever there is a crisis in the church that there is a portion of the episcopacy that participates with it. Talleyrand, you have a bishop that participated with the Muslims when the Muslims were conquering Europe, tried to convince Palaio to come out of the cave and join the Muslims. And, and uh, you know, you'll actually live a pretty comfortable life if you just come on out and stop resisting. And, and I think that here in the United States, we're facing the same thing. You've got bishops and priests who are standing out and saying, you know what, it, the mask thing, the, the not going to mass thing, you can always go to mass online. It's okay. Just do a spiritual communion. You don't really need the Eucharist every single Sunday, right? Um, and then they, they say things like, well, and, and uh, then we've got these other things that are being imposed by the government. You have an obligation to be obedient and submissive to authority, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what they're doing is they're winnowing down resolve to, to remain steadfast and practice the virtue of fortitude. Yeah. You know, I, I, as we went through COVID, <clears throat> I gave the bishops a lot of latitude because I think I, for me, I red pilled right after Holy Week. Um, but I also saw people dying. And so I gave the kind of latitude to the bishops that said, you know, we don't want to be responsible for that. And so, you know, so there's that. 
but um, now it's just crazy. I mean, you know, the whole Thanksgiving thing that we just got done talking about. And you can see that they're using um, this pandemic, which now that we know the death t uh, toll is, is, uh, is way down. And they, they now have uh, all kinds of, um, of, uh, of treatments that they, for people to, to help them when they get COVID. And of course, we have the vaccine coming. So let's let's quarantine everybody. And I, I, I just I, I you talked, Michael, about, you know, they have to get rid of the, the middle class. One of the big ways I think they're getting rid of the middle class is all these mom and pop, these family owned businesses are going down and, and you know, in, in favor of the Walmarts of the world. You know, they're the, the big business. I, I saw a meme something that was uh, earlier that talked about. Oh, I think it was Babylon B that talked about Walmart being thankful to the government for, you know, shutting everything down right. so that, yeah, so that, um, so that they could take control of, of all those middle-class mom and pop shops that, that now have to close. So that what, so that now you're dependent upon the government and, and I, I'm going to throw this in cause it just popped in my head, but this, this, uh, this, uh, 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 virtue signaling that there's this systematic racism, right? That and, and, and you know we're white supremacists, all that stuff. But you know what systematic racism is? Is is destroying the economy so that minorities, in particular, become dependent on the on the government. You know that that's that's the you know that's there's there's slave ranches that the the government has. You know, and so we're seeing this just this destruction of. The economy, and you could see that 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 for them is is their goal, so that um, there's more dependency. But I want I want to I want to ask you a question. But I, I want to just share from an article I read just a few hours ago, and this is from I want to give a good site. It's from front front page mag. But um, I just want to read this this middle portion of of the article. It says Democrats are not Democrats; they are to totalitarians. Uh, they have declared war on the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Electoral College, the Senate, the, the Supreme Court, the election system, and the idea of civil, war, uh, civil order. They have called the Republican president of the United States to be deplatformed and jailed. Their obvious goal is a one-party state that criminalizes dissent. To them, support of such basic necessities as borders and law enforcement are racist. If you oppose their efforts to legalize uh, infanticide, uh, uh, they will condemn you as enemies of women. And if you make videos of their confessions to, uh, to selling body parts of murdered infants, they will, like Kamala Harris, throw you in jail. Progressives are not progressive. They are reactionaries. They are out, of, uh, out to abolish liberal value systems and create a status a hierarchy where race, gender, and sexual orientation define and confine you to an unalterable place in their new social order. If you are white or male or heterosexual or religious, which I'm all for, uh, and Justice Kavanaugh was all for, you are guilty before the fact. But if you are a member of a designated and increasingly imaginary victim group, you are innocent even when the facts show that you are guilty like the reprehensible female who lied to Congress in a calculated attempt to destroy Kavanaugh's life and career. If you're a member of a victim group, uh, you have an uh, unlimited license to persecute others. I'm just going to stop there. But you can see 
I thought that started at least to, to lay out, you, you, you've given this history, Michael. So what's going on right now? I mean, this is coming fast. And, sure. and if, if this election goes the way it is, okay, the way it seems to be going, if they don't find widespread um, election fraud and turn this thing around, what are we heading into? So we have to ask ourselves why the left is pushing so hard to get Joe Biden into office. Why right. are they doing this? I mean, Joe Biden, for crying out loud, the guy, right. the guy can but barely they hit string... the basement for a yeah. year. Yeah. He can barely string together two sentences and right. sound cogent. So why are they pushing so hard for him? The reason they're pushing hard for him is because he's in the pocket of the Communist Party, right. the Communist Party of China. They have absolute control over him, and they know they do because they've got the goods on him. He's compromised. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He's thoroughly compromised. Now, most of these politicians are compromised, but Joe Biden is particularly compromised because he's had personal dealings with the Communist Chinese Party. So the left is pushing him because the Communist Party of China is pushing him. The question then is, what is their agenda? What are they hoping to accomplish by putting him into office? And everything comes back to what you and Father uh, Altman and, and Doug talked about was the Great Reset. Right. And the Great Reset is the culmination of everything that I've been laying out with regard to the Freemasons, the, the revolutions, and everything else. Because what the Great Reset is trying to accomplish is what revolutions could only accomplish on a local level. So when you have, say, the communist revolution in Cuba, it was able to create a communist state in Cuba. You have the communist revolution in Venezuela, where, you know, they were establishing communism in a small pocket area there. And all throughout the world, every single place you, you see communism, it came out from a revolutionary movement, but it was only able to take over a localized area. This, what we are facing now, is an attempt to establish a global communist society. And wow. they want to do it through the United Nations. The United Nations is the best vehicle for it. And the, the, uh, the mode that they're using in order to push it is the sustainable development goals. Every country is on board except the United States. Donald Trump pulled us out of the Paris Accords. Donald Trump shut down our involvement with the World Health Organization. Donald Trump told the United Nations to go pound sand. He went to the World Economic Forum and he told them that we will never accept socialism. We will never adopt their ideas. And very shortly after that, George Soros had an emergency session where they started talking about the need to get rid of Donald Trump. Right. And right after that, they started talking about the Great Reset. Right. Now, what's fascinating? Yeah, go ahead. Just, uh, just jump in. Sustainable development. Uh, just to uh, uh, define that a little bit for our, our listeners. So the sustainable development goals of the United Nations is an anti-poverty or, or it's a it's it's basically a global socialist program thinly disguised as an anti-poverty program. So it's its basic desire is to create a, a society where there's no hunger and there's no poverty and women have equality and and everybody is equitable. And you and now the idea of sustainability, by the way. Anytime you hear the word sustainability, what they're talking about is you having 
a little sustainable farm where you go out into your little sustainable farm and you raise your own sustainable crops and you feed your own sustainable family on this one plot of land that they give to you. And the idea is that because you have a farm of a particular size and you're supposed to be feeding yourself and being self-sufficient, well, there's no need for money. There's no need for commerce. There's no need for any property or ownership of anything. Uh, and you and your little sustainable family can live and grow on that little plot of land. And you'd better not have more children than you can sustain. So it's a population control program. It's a socialist program, but it's all predicated on this thinly disguised idea of fighting poverty. It was originally called Agenda 21. It then took on the, the title of uh, the Millennium Development Goals. And then when 2015 came around and they hadn't achieved what they wanted by then, they changed it to the Sustainable Development Goals. Now, what's interesting is that in 2013, right after Pope Francis had become the next Pope, Jeffrey Sachs and the Secretary General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon, met with Pope Francis and they talked to him about the sustainable development goals and uh, the United Nations produced a report wherein they said that Pope Francis said that he would commit the entire Catholic Church to the program of sustainability, the sustainable development goals. The very next year, he published Laudato Si, which talked about sustainability, I think, around 27 times. And when you look at his speeches at various uh, United Nations forums and various international forums and the fact that he's got Jeffrey Sachs so closely aligned with the Vatican now, he's, he's practically got a permanent office in the Vatican at this point. Jeffrey Sachs is the architect of the Millennium Development Goals which are now the Sustainable Development Goals. They're pro-abortion. They, they actually talk about the need for reducing fertility rates in impoverished areas. So it's like what Fulton Sheen said, the problem of too many heads and not enough hats. So you just get rid of a few heads. Um, but the Sustainable Development Goals themselves are designed particularly to create an international globalist society of governance, not government, which would indicate, you know, a head who was making decisions and, and telling people how they need to live, but governance, which is the regulation of the movement of peoples and, and all that stuff. So uh, this great reset is all predicated on the sustainable development goals. Now, what we have to remember is that the great reset was established by the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum is... It's, it was created uh, in Davos in Switzerland by a bunch of international super industrialists, a bunch of bigwigs and, you know, super capitalists, right? And they would make decisions about the economy and how to do commerce and blah, blah, blah. Well, right around 2000, in response to the World Economic Forum, there was a group in Sao Paulo, Brazil, that put together something called the World Social Forum. So it's the communist Marxist flip side of the World Economic Forum. And so they were, they were set up in opposition to what these super nationalists want to do, these big industrialists. And they were all talking about communism and they would parade little pictures of Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin and Simone de Bolivar 
uh, and uh, I think they had Mao on some of their pictures. Uh, big hammer and sickle flags marching through the streets. I've got photographs and video of all of this. And on the governing body of the World Social Forum is Caritas Internationalis, which is the Vatican's umbrella group for develop aid and development agencies all throughout the world, including Catholic Relief Services, including Development and Peace in Canada. And so CR or, or the uh, Caritas Internationalis being on the governing body of the World Social Forum, I find it fascinating that just last year, Pope Francis sent a message to the World Economic Forum and talked about how they should be creating a new society and working towards a new economy. And it was right around that time they were talking about the Great Reset. And just this year, uh, the World Social Forum is now talking about the Great Transition or the Great Transition Initiative, which is the same thing. So you've got big capitalists talking about a Great Reset and you've got big communists talking about a great transition. And both of them are talking about sustainability and sustainable development goals. I, I, I want to throw in there too, on, on top of what you're saying, that there is video of Jeffrey Sachs sitting in Vatican meetings. Oh, yeah. Very clearly saying Donald Trump is in the way. Yep. I mean, it's, it's on video of him coming out saying we have got to get him out of the way. He's going to create problems for us. This is he's this been is, a wrecking ball for all of this. He has. He has. Yep. So anybody out there right now, this is for anybody out there who is questioning whether or not this is legitimate. What Michael's saying is all tinfoil hat stuff, which is the term that means he's sitting in the closet thinking everything's conspiracy. Look, a conspiracy is when, you know, several people get together with a plan to overthrow something good. That's essentially a very simple definition of a conspiracy. This is happening, though. If anybody goes out and does a search for the Great Reset, you'll find videos from the World Economic Forum. And they are using the COVID situation to their advantage. They're manipulating it intentionally. Even just last week, Justin Trudeau from Canada came out, Prime Minister of Canada came out in a tweet and said that this is a good opportunity for us. The whole COVID-19 crisis yeah, for the is great a good reset. opportunity yeah, to further our reset plans. Now, and here's, this is a quote from a video from the World Economic Forum, one of their videos out there. It states, the pandemic has presented a rare opportunity to reset our world, making society fairer and greener using the power of innovation for good. But they are admitting it. They're not even hiding this, Michael. They, they're they're yeah. in our faces saying that the COVID crisis is an opportunity for us to move forward with the, re, the Great Reset or Transition Plans and the thing that's so amazing about it is all the information that has come out. And Father, you and I have addressed this so many times in, in various ways through this podcast and in our, our social media platforms. The, the absolute misinformation, propaganda regarding the COVID numbers alone, the facts, statistics, everything that has been so skewed, so turned upside down, medical professionals who have spoken out being shut down, silenced, censored. Father, you get thrown in Facebook jail several times now. I mean... <laughs> All of this because you speak out and even question the whole COVID situation when you got the reset people over here saying, oh, this is an opportunity for us to move forward with our plans. It's, it, it's not even hidden anymore, Michael. And, 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 you know, when we've got church officials that are tied into this now, and you, you, you make this connection with the Vatican on all this, I mean, and this is just facts. This isn't bashing anybody. You're talking about facts, 
I, I mean, how, where do you think this goes with regards to the church? We got bishops and priests out there who won't speak out. Do you think many bishops and priests realize a lot of what you just stated about the connection and the tie-in here in this transition slash reset issue? I think most people are pretty oblivious to it. Um, you know, people are hearing things about the Great Reset. People are hearing things about COVID. But unfortunately, most people, it, we live in a low information society, despite all the information availability that we have. Uh, you have all these... Uh, Why, big Michael? Why? Why? Well... Why? I mean, I, let me just blur blurt this out, because... Thirty-three thousand emailed. Acid watch. Uh, Russia, Russia, Russia. Uh, impeach, impeach, impeach. Uh, yep. Kavanaugh, Ke uh, Covington kids. Uh, you know uh, uh, the uh, the laptop from hell. Uh, the the Durham report. Bar. Where is everybody? What? Why are? Why is evil yeah. allowed to advance unabated? No consequences. Where, where, where is anybody, you know, in beginning with informing everyone that this is actually have exposing it? In other words, why, Michael? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm reminded of scripture. Um, who is like the beast who can stand against him? Um, I think that uh, at this point, we're kind of asking the same question. Who is like this beast and how can we stand against him? Who can do it? Uh, it's too big. It's too too much of a monster for us to wrap our heads around. How do you actually fight it? And and you know it, the spiritual answer to your question, I think, is that we're seeing the culmination of what Sister Lucia said was the devil ramping up for a final battle. I mean, the devil is trying to the, all of these things that we're seeing. The the fact that the the left is thrashing so much in order to cover up the truth. And people are, I, I do believe people are starting to wake up to the truth. They're starting to realize, wait a minute, um, there's somebody who's trying to smother me to death and I need to resist it. And I need, but, but they don't know how they don't know how, because they don't, they don't understand how we got here. And that, that ultimately is the big problem. They don't understand that it was the Protestant revolution that led to a revolution in ideology because the, the, the Enlightenment was the philosophical response to the revolt against authority, spiritual authority. So they had to create a philosophy that would, that would enlighten their, their thinking, that would allow them to wrap their heads around shirking off the authority of the church. And then after that, you have revolution. They had to decapitate all of the heads of state in order to make sure that their Marxist, uh, well, before Marx, but their, their Republican idea, and I mean Republican in the sense of democratic uh, Republican as opposed to monar monarchical um, ideologies. And now we have a revolutionary system that is, the, that is a way of life. It's a political way of life. It's a, it's a general revolution that we have every four years where we cut off the head, who is the, the president or the, the prime minister or whoever he is, cut off the head and replace it with a new head every four years instead of a monarchical system, which is uh, established to reflect the kingship of Christ. I mean, we just celebrated the kingship of Christ. And uh, if, you, if you look at how the church in the world is a reflection of, of the establishment of the, govern the governance of heaven, 
then we have to stop looking for democratic responses to what ultimately is a spiritual problem. Yeah, you know, Michael, you, 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 I think the title of this global governance, a Luciferian conspiracy, sums up what I mean, a lot of what you just said. We're, this is a, a, a picture that is beyond, it's a battlefield beyond. This is a total in league well, with the devil. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. We cannot fathom this. You know, and I, you know, as I know we're getting near, you've got a little bit of time left in the program here, but I, I, I definitely don't want to give people um, the impression that all is lost. This is too big and overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. I look at this, and, and I know we're all on the same page on this. I mean, in all the Marian apparition talks that I've researched, I've studied and, and talked about Marian apparitions for years, you know, she warned us of this. She told us these things were coming, and she did tell us over and over again what the number one, you know, in many cases, the number one weapon that if we would just take it up and use it and pray it, you know, we, this combat rosary, by the way, specific here, you know, combat rosary. Brother Hamans, you know, we, we, if we took that rosary up and, and embraced it, you know, if we really let it convert our hearts, the grace of God working through prayer and sacraments convert the hearts. Because we are at a point, don't you think, Michael and Father, where there's, there's no way out of this. And Father Ripperger said this a couple of weeks ago. He said there is no way out of where we are except through spiritual engagement first. Now, yep. this may lead to bloodshed. It may lead to civil war. It may lead to, uh, our Blessed Mother warned in, in Quapa, Nicaragua, 1980, on actually October 13th, which is the anniversary of the miracle of Fatima, the son, miracle of Fatima. She, that was the day that she told Bernardo Martinez, who, soon to become Father Bernardo, that because of your lack of response to my call for conversion, you are hastening the arrival of a third world war. And I, I don't think we can fathom what a third world war would look like in America. I mean, during World War I in 1917, when she appeared in Fatima and she told the children there would be a second war far worse than this one, no one could fathom a second war worse than World War I. I mean, you had trench warfare, you had mustard gas, you had me mechanized war, and 25, approximately 22 to 25 million dead. Over half of them were civilians. It was beyond anybody's you know, imagination. This was a war to end all wars, which was its nickname. But 21 years later, World War II breaks out, and it's far worse. Between 65 and 70 million are dead. And now you have jet propulsion and the V1, V2 rockets from Germany, all the, the nuclear bombs and so forth, the atomic bombs that came out of it. So for her to say the Third World War was being hastened because of our lack of response to conversion, this is beyond our scope of, of, of any kind of imagination. But all that being said, so as not to terrify our viewers and listeners right now, our Lady does promise her Immaculate Heart will triumph. All right? She is the one, as Maximilian Colby said, who will crush the head of the serpent. We, we, we know what our marching orders are. First and foremost, be faithful to our Lord. As you talk about, you know, Michael, getting back to being faithful to the church, faithful to God, that, that that's a key part of this entire picture. We cannot take on this Luciferian conspiracy on our own. You know, when Archbishop Vigano, and I'm sure you're familiar with the letter that he wrote to President Trump before the election, and he talked about the Great Reset in the letter, and he actually says in there that they will fail because there are children of light, essentially, to paraphrase, who are willing to engage, willing to go to town, roll up the sleeves, and engage in this fight, which is what we're trying to do here at U.S. Grace Force. You, Michael, are doing it. I know it's, it, there are several of us out there who are really trying to engage in this battle and rally the troops so first and foremost, get right with God. Be in the state of grace. Be that spiritual-minded warrior first. But then 
Also on a natural level, we do have to engage, whether it's the courts, voting, the protests, as peaceful as we possibly can. But I do still think that there's a point where we have to realize that this may come to where, look, this gets out of hand. We have to make a decision, you know, as peacefully and morally as possible. Of course, we have to make a decision where we're going to draw that line. And for me, it's, you know, you start forcing vaccinations because, by the way, this just came out, I uh, saw on the, on the news today, Qantas Airlines is yeah. now going to mandate yeah. international, any international plane flight, you have got to have a COVID vaccination. I knew that was coming. I said oh, yeah. you to show a card to get a loaf of bread. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and, and it, it'll only continue. And Archbishop Vigano talked about digital vaccination coding and all this, and just the fact that all this documentation. Bill Gates has been working on this for years with un, you know uh, tattoos under the skin showing your vaccination. The saddest thing, though, and Michael, I'd like your thoughts on this: is how many people are going along with it? How many people have gone, have gone along with all the the mask mandate stuff? You know, had the you know, look. You want to wear a mask? Go wear your mask. That's fine. But my, let's, let's just not, my goodness, let's not get to the point where we're starting to shame and guilt everybody. I've had people comment to me, you're a super spreader and, you know, you, you want grandma to die and you're telling mm -hmm. people to violate health. Look, this is insanity right now that we're giving into governors who are telling us how many people we can have in our house. And if right. anybody doesn't see the direction this is going, and then you bring in things like what Justin Trudeau says about, oh, this is the perfect opportunity to further the reset plans. And now you got airlines out there and all it takes is one. And as soon as one says, we're gonna do it, a lot more will jump on board because no one wants to be the guy that was responsible and the left and, and the whole reset, the whole conspiracy nut jobs out there. You know, when I talk about spirits, I'm talking about the people that want the reset and all this to happen. They will use any opportunity to try to make this person, that person look bad because someone died you know, on their plane flight or something, or someone got sick, your cases rose, whatever it may be. Michael, your thoughts on the fact that we're in the thick of this. It's a big picture. Our lady has promised that her, she will, she will triumph. We need to make that right decision and never lose hope in the thick of this battle, but we got to be darn prepared to defend ourselves because this whole thing is, is, is going to hit the fan on a much, much greater degree, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the um, the idea is, here's the thing. Prophecy is always understood either at the time that it is fulfilled or after the fact. But it is given to us in order to help make sense of the calamity that we're undergoing. And if if Our Lady said these things are going to happen, and she talked about Russia spreading its errors, she talked right. about wars and greater wars, and, and you know, that's, I think that it's pretty clear that that's been fulfilled. And she came and she talked to uh, uh, Sister Agnes Sasagawa in, in Akita, Japan. And she told Sister Sasagawa that fire is going to fall from the sky. The spirit of compromise is going to infiltrate the church. Uh, you're going to see bishops against bishops and cardinals against cardinals. Um, well, I hope we don't see that happen. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> as, as if that. Uh, well, I hope that never happens. Un yeah. Unfathomable. <laughs> Yeah, or, or as they say in the Princess Bride, inconceivable. Inconceivable. <laughs> um, but the uh, it, it is something that I think that we're undergoing, and yeah. Our Lady tells us these things so that we can make sense of it when it happens. This is why I'm not worried about it. Right. Fulton right. Sheen would say that everything is always blackest before the dawn. 
And it's true. I, I sometimes wake up at four in the morning and I look outside and it's, it's absolutely pitch black out. But then when the sun starts coming over that horizon, it's it, the, the light coming in, it's, it, it's refreshing and it's, and it's uh, energizing. And once we get into that very dark place, we know that liberation is at hand mm -hmm. and we have to look for it. We have to look for our lady's heel to crush the serpent's head. And we have to know that if we remain close to our lady, remain anchored to her, as it were, through the rosary, then there's nothing to worry about, even if our body gets demolished. Uh, a friend of mine used to say, pain is imperfection leaving the body. And if we look at it in a spiritual sense, that's a very, very true thing if you're uniting your pain with Christ on the cross. Yeah. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. You know, I think we're coming to the end here, but I, I want to make one appeal before we, we end. I love what you just said there, Michael. And I'm looking at the scene behind you in the Battle of Ponto. And <clears throat> if you recall, that was when, if you recall, of course, you know the story, but my summation of the story is the Turks were coming yeah. to deal the last blow because Christianity had become so weak. And they felt like this attack, this final attack would take them out. And Pope uh, Pius V caught wind of this coming, okay? And what did he do? He First of all, he, he got Don John of Austria to marshal the remnant forces that were left, the remnant forces that were left. So let's, let's look at that and say there are remnant forces. There are pockets. And I think all of our listeners are part of that, right? Yeah. We're part of those remnant forces. We need to unite. I even want to unite. I want to unite with my evangelical brothers and sisters. I think of those rallies that are going on, right? They're waving flags and they're, you know, calling out Jesus. And we need to unite with all them, okay? We got to become, a, find a way to unite, to get those remnant forces together and stand up and say no to this, this uh, unabated evil that's coming, like the Turks in 1571, right? But then what else did the Pope do? Okay, and that's when he called upon the world to pray the rosary, right? And um, and so when they, when they won the battle, uh, he dedicated that vic that day they won on October seventh, Our Lady of Victory, right? And uh, and later a pope changed Our Lady Rosary because it was because of the rosary. Okay, so that's my little summation. You might have a better one than that, but but just for the sake of time, <clears throat> this is what I want to say though is we need to unite, but see the t-shirt I'm wearing? This is my mantra, okay? We need to get strong, okay? We can be like little brand new little buck privates at uh, basic training, okay, in the way that we pray, or we can be like SEAL Team 6, okay? And that's what we've been doing with, with uh, the um, United States Grace Forces. We've been training up people, helping them to get strong, Right now, we're in the middle of a 50-40 day rosary novena. It's not calling people to pray one day. It's saying 54 days, okay? So it, it's, it's, it's that, but it's also fasting, okay? Fasting gives the underdog the victory, okay? You, so, so in other words, that's the SEAL Team 6 way of praying the rosary, okay? Do fasting, do uh, abstinence. Detach yourself from things that have control of you in your life. Let go of them when you go to pray this rosary. Get to confession and be in a state of grace, right? Pray this rosary 
in, in a, I'll call it a full state of grace. That means go to confession often because the weight of the world and all the ways in which the world wants to dominate you can wear us down. And, uh, and all the little sins can wear us down, can wear that grace down. So we don't use it completely, but we get weak. Then we get vulnerable to the bigger sins that when we lose it all, then we got to get the confession right then. But that's what frequent confession is all about. So, yes, pray the rosary, but pray it like you're on a spiritual SEAL Team 6. Okay, pray it mightily. Pray it with strength. Get strong yourself. You know, if you could get to um, adoration more often, that'd be great. I always tell people, too, if you can't get to an adoration chapel, go to church early or stay a little late and have that special time. Uh, lately, I've been calling it, it's that throw your feet at yourself at the feet of Jesus time. Uh, when you're in adoration, because you're just saying, uh, there's no there's no other place I want to be but right here with you, one-on-one -on -one with you. Uh, this is this is how I believe we're going to, like in 1571 in the Battle of Ponto, this is the way that they're not going to deal the last blow, not under our watch. We're going to be SEAL Team 6 supernatural warriors, right, Michael? Right, Doug? Well, no, Father, I would actually add just one thing to your to your right, cool. about, you know, you, you were calling for uh, us to unite with our separated brethren. Yes. Um, one of the little known stories about the Battle of Lepanto is that most of the Muslim ships were being rowed by Christian slaves. Yep. I and know where you're going happened, with this. I know where you're going with this. Yep. And what happened is the uh, the Christians, because these were galley ships, the, most yep. of the combat was done, you know, on the on the deck of the ships. The, the Christians would ram into the Muslim ship and they would jump aboard the Muslim ship and they'd be fighting, fighting, fighting. But the first thing they did is they made a beeline for the galley and they would break that chain yep. that was keeping the Christian slaves yep. underneath the galley and they handed out swords and all of those yep. Christian slaves came rushing up to the surface, seeing the light for the first time. I yes. mean, they're down in the dark galley, so they're in darkness. But then when they are liberated, they come into the light and they have their sword and they are fighting the Amen. children of darkness who are the Muslims at that time. Yep. Uh, and and I think that by analogy, by the same thing that you were talking about, exactly. needing to unite with our separated brethren, we are going exactly. to engage in this combat the same way. We need to unite with them in order to draw them into the light and fight the children of darkness, exactly. just as Archbishop Vigano said. Yep. Yeah. I, I would add to that, too. I, I agree with both of you on all of that. And that's a great point about that. Um, the slaves, how many, how many were set free? A lot of men died in that battle. I mean, what were, what were the numbers, Michael? Uh, how many Christian soldiers do we know roughly died? I heard it was oh, like, I, I, I don't have the statistics in front no, of I me. I don't either. <laughs> I heard it was, it was thousands. I heard 10,000 yeah. maybe. Yeah. You know, a lot of these men died. They, they were faithful. They were, they were instructed to pray the rosary regularly. They were, weren't they forbidden from even foul language, I believe? Oh, yeah. In fact, yeah. I, I think St. Don, Don Juan of Austria, not St. Don Juan of Austria, but Don Juan of Austria had orders to shoot on sight anybody who blasphemed. There you go. So, and I would say this. Because he I, understood it was supernatural. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I was, because we're physical and spiritual beings, I would say this, that because we have this, this, this dynamic that men have always had to rise up in times like this, just like the men that stormed the beaches in Normandy, the men that stormed the beaches of Anzio, the men that, that, that fought in any great war, Men oftentimes are called into these battles. Go back to, you know, Gideon's army. I mean, men are called up at times. 
right now we got a lot of soldiers out there who are willing to fight. And I know a lot of good people, and I agree with you. You just said earlier, Michael, about you know the Trump rally in particular in D.C. a while back, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, showed tens of thousands of people just gathering, you know, ready to go. All right. All Jesus lovers. Yeah, all of them, I hope. But I do know, because I've talked to several guys who are in the military, who say that, look, there's a lot of retired vets out there that they, they want to be left alone. They have fought in combat. They don't want to have to come out of their, their, their retirement, so to speak, and engage again. But they will if they have to, to protect the country. And we have all of these different aspects. But the thing that I, I just want to encourage people to consider is this. It goes back to what you said, Father, and Michael, you echoed. Is that because this is a Luciferian-rooted problem, and because it's such a massive problem, Anybody who feels, and I feel strong about this, having that physical preparedness, all right, self-defense, learn how to fight, train, hope you never have to use it, but understand that the better trained you are, the less likely you will have to step into some kind of combat because you're trained to be able to avoid or diffuse to the best of your ability and so forth and so forth. But without moral grounding in God, right. okay, we become a weaker soldier. Whether you're, whether you're a retired military who's coming out, current active military, or layman like myself who will step up and fight if I have to. Without moral grounding in God, you are a weaker soldier. And I'm just going to encourage all my brothers out there, especially anybody who's former military, current military, law enforcement, whatever you may be, or even civilians out there who are, who are ready, training, thinking, you know what, if I have to fight, I'm ready to fight and so forth. You must be grounded in God if this is going to be done the right way. I think this goes back to the Battle of Lepanto. Like you said, Michael, they, they were forbidden from blaspheming God. They had to pray the rosary. They had to get their souls right because that's the root of a good soldier. That's why one of my favorite characters, this is funny. People are going to laugh at this. Don't make fun of me. This little guy sits on my desk all the time. <laughs> and the reason is because I'm not a huge Marvel comic fan, but I am a Captain America fan because Captain America became a great soldier first and foremost because he was a good man in his heart. Yep. He was a moral and just man. All the super serum did was make, was it really kind of elevate that goodness that was already in him in the physical way. But this is what I'm getting at. And it's just a real reminder. It's a fun reminder to me. We need to be rooted in God first if we're going to overcome this, whether it's legal battles, physical battles, all spiritual battle, it has to be rooted in God. So I, I plead with my brothers and sisters out there, Train for war if you have to, if you feel called to. It's always good to be ready to protect and defend, whether it's someone trying to attack you in a parking lot, kick in your door at 3 a.m., or civil uprising, or World War III. But be a morally grounded individual first with prayer and sacraments and scripture and fasting because that's the real source and root of your strength as a soldier on any level. Amen. Amen. Hey, Michael, this has been amazing. Yeah, um, you, great to you, have you. You know, we talked about how people aren't don't know what's going on. Well, we went a long way to know what's going on tonight, and really grateful to you. Maybe we can have you on again and and even flesh it out some more. Absolutely, uh, love this to. Was, this was great. This was really good. Um, Thanks, and Michael. so uh, I, I just want to end with one last thing I, to help us. And you guys have so many great points, and it goes to what you just said too, Doug is um, there's sins that have uh, laid hold of us mm. and they're called vices, right? And that just means they just keep coming back. And, uh, you know, it even goes to questioning our real resolve in, in, in confession. Uh, I can tell you this right now. I absolutely believe this with my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, 
that if you make a resolution right now to be done with that vice that's laid hold of you, your prayers are going to be like atom bombs. Okay. So think about that. All of our listeners out there, you know, think about letting finally, finally, finally having the resolve to let go of that vice that's laid hold of you. Okay. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This is awesome. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was, this was a lot of fun.